This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. Hey, we're going to have a little fun today in our podcast. I always try to make these One Verse Podcasts a little fun, interesting. I think it was Howard Hendricks that taught me at seminary that it is a sin to bore people with the Bible. So I hope you're never bored with these One Verse Podcasts. Uh, The fun in today's show concerns the question about whether or not animals go to heaven. I mean, do you believe that all dogs go to heaven? To be honest, I don't really know if they do or they don't. Uh, I'm certain that, I'm nearly certain I should say, that there will be animals in the eternal state, but I don't know if God's going to bring, you know, Fido or Fluffy to join you there. Uh, some people, though, are pretty convinced he will, and they use passages like Genesis 1, 20-23 as an argument for the idea that animals have souls, and therefore animals will go to heaven. Uh, look, Genesis 1 does in fact teach that animals have souls. Fish even have souls. That's what we're going to see today, at least according to Genesis 1.20. So, uh, you know, does... If you saw the movie Finding Nemo, if, if Nemo had gotten flushed down the toilet, does that mean he would have found himself in paradise? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're going to look at today from Genesis 1, 20 through 23. Hold on to your seats. It's going to be quite a ride. I'm calling it The Fish and the Fesh. <laughs> yeah, hey, listen, um, I'm going to get into a lot of the Hebrew in today's episode. And uh, so I use one of the one of the Bible study resources I use is Logos Bible Software. For my word studies, if you want to check my work and what I'm saying today, I highly recommend you get a copy of the Logos Bible software for yourself. Uh, You can use it to do word studies in Greek or Hebrew, along with a lot of the commentaries that I use for this study. Uh, Those are there there as well. I use the silver package. You need at least the silver package to be able to do the Greek and Hebrew studies. And if you go buy a copy of the Logos Bible software for yourself, go ahead and use my coupon code jmyers 6 J-M-Y-E-R-S-6, that will give you 15% off your purchase. Hey, uh, before we get on to today's episode, I do want to read a comment that came in from Facebook. This is from Mike. Uh, He says this, I'm trying to catch up on your OneVerse podcasts. I am so un-techy. Podcasts are a new world. I am enjoying and learning. Though you studied at Moody and Dallas Theological Seminary, you've taken an interesting approach to theology versus religion. You spoke about God hovering over the chaos, even in our lives, which struck a chord in my own life. It is so easy to feel abandoned in the darkness. Thank you, Jeremy. Well, thank you, Mike, for that comment. I really appreciate it. It is very encouraging for me to hear, and uh, that is what I try to do, to... uh, my an early version of my website was tillhecomes.org and sort of my theme statement there was bringing scripture and theology to life. I'm still trying to do that uh, not just be you know scholarly in my explanations but also bring it down to the real world where you and I are living. So with that in mind though, uh let's kick off our study today of Genesis 1, 22 through 23. Let me uh I got to pull up my logos real quick just so I have the Hebrew words in front of me. Okay, 
And uh, I thought I had that up before we started. All right. So, um, look, uh, Genesis 1, 20 through 23 is the fifth day of the creation account in Genesis 1. Um, and it is the filling of the earth and sky. The earth and sky were created on the second day of creation. I highly recommend, if you have not listened to the podcasts, uh, the One Verse podcast about the second day of creation, you might want to go do go do that before listening to this episode. Uh, this episode builds on what we learned there. So here, on the fifth day of creation, Moses begins his description uh, by saying that uh, on this day, on, on day five, God made living creatures to fill the waters below and birds to fly in the air. And there's there's several things I want to point out uh, from Genesis 1.20. Now, first, uh, a more literal translation of the first part of Genesis 1.20 is this. Um, Let the waters swarm with living swarmers. The Hebrew there, there's sort of a play on words in the Hebrew, which, um, you know, letting the waters swarm with swarmers. So that's in Genesis 1.20. And uh, the word that Moses uses in 120, which often gets translated in English as creatures, though, is not the same word which is used in Genesis 121, that uh, at least in most English translations is also creature. So uh, basically, there's all sorts of weird translator issues here that are found in most English that I don't think properly represent the Hebrew. Now, I need to tell you right now, there is so much in Genesis 121 that I couldn't fit it all into this show. And so even though today's episode is on verses 20 through 23, we're skipping verse 21. I'm going to save that for an episode all of its own. That will be next week's episode. Uh, But here in in Genesis 1.20, the word that is translated as creatures is uh, charettes. Charettes, and it means swarmers. It refers to uh, fish and sea animals that swim in groups, like a school of fish. Have you ever seen school of fish swarming around in uh, the waters under your boat or whatever? Then, you know, they, they do. It looks like they're swarming. The same with birds flying in the air. They fly in these flocks, and so they're, they're sort of swarming in the air. So that's the word swarmers, and I'm just pointing it out because it's a very different word than the word we, we encounter down in verse 21 as well, and I just wanted to show the difference. Here it's swarmers. Okay, uh, second, many English translations, they leave a keyword out of 120, of Genesis 120. Um, uh, many translations only talk about living creatures. Uh, in, real, in reality, though, there are three Hebrew words there that, uh, in this part of the Hebrew text, and the one that often gets ignored or left out is the word nefesh. Nefesh, and that's where I got the title of uh, this episode, The Fish and the Nefesh. Uh, nefesh means soul. Uh, it's, it's also used in Genesis 2-7, talking about the creation of Adam, a living soul. And uh, it's also used in 124, talking about the creation of the living creatures, the uh, animals, the cattle, and so on. And then also in verse 30, talking about, again, uh, the creation of Adam, uh, the humans. Okay, so um, it's understandable. Now, you got to understand, why did the Hebrew translators leave it out? Well, it's a little bit understandable why they left it out. Uh, be, here in 120, because Christians, uh, in our theology, we often think 
that the soul is the eternal part of a person. You know, sometimes you hear people talk about winning souls for Jesus, right? So you think that if you're going to go out and do evangelism and you're going to win souls, then basically what you are doing is you are rescuing people from heading to hell and eternal judgment and instead delivering them or saving them so they can go to heaven and spend eternity with God. So this 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 uh, winning souls for Jesus is the idea of giving people, allowing their soul to go to heaven when they die. Now, the thing is, is if, if the soul is the eternal part of a person, then what does that mean for creatures like fish to have souls? The, the, the Hebrew is very clear. The word is the same, nefesh. What does it mean if, if because, let me put it this way, if, if humans, you know, live for eternity after death because of their nefesh, their soul, then what does that mean for animals after they die? Because they also have a nefesh. They also are described as nefesh, a living soul. Do they also go to heaven when they die? You know, do all dogs go to heaven? Well, there's a debate on this. Some people say yes, some people say no. Uh, Some people say that since humans have souls and we go to heaven when when we die, since animals have souls, they also will go to heaven when they die. Others disagree, of course. They argue that... The human soul is different than the animal soul, and, and since only humans are made in the image of God, we'll get into that later in verses 26 and 27, uh, therefore only animals have an eternal soul. So when animals die, they do not go to heaven. In fact, I was recently listening to another podcast, uh, a pastor, he did a Q&A thing, and he said that uh, scripture really isn't clear on whether Fido and Fluffy go to heaven when they die. I agree with that. Uh, but but he said that if heaven, that since heaven is going to be less heavenly for most people, if their animals aren't there with them, then he doesn't see why God would not bring Fido and Fluffy, or maybe your fish, uh, to heaven. To, if, you, if, you, if you're that close to your fish, you might have issues. <laughs> uh, but uh, he, he said, I don't see why God would not bring your animals to be to heaven with to, to heaven to be with you in heaven if uh, their absence would make heaven less enjoyable for you. Now, I mean, that makes sense, I suppose. If heaven is going to be less enjoyable for you because your favorite animal, your favorite dog, your favorite cat can't be there with you, then why wouldn't God bring those pets to be in heaven with you? The thing is, is there's a major problem with that logic. If God brings my pet to be with me in heaven, so that heaven can be more enjoyable, can be more heavenly, then what about my children or my siblings or parents or some other loved one that may not be in heaven when I die? I mean, if if heaven is going to be less heavenly for me because Fluffy isn't there, heaven would definitely, without a doubt, be less heavenly for me if one of my loved ones, if one of my family members wasn't there. And so based on this logic that, well, of course, God will bring your, your dog or your cat to heaven so that heaven can be more enjoyable for you. Based on that logic, then God also must bring all of my family members to heaven so that heaven can be more enjoyable and more heavenly for me. And, and based on that premise, then since everybody is connected in some way or another to everybody else, that means basically that everybody will be in heaven. And that leads to universalism. So the bottom line is this. Here's some theological logic for you. If you believe that all dogs go to heaven, then you must also be a universalist. (laughs) How's that, huh? Isn't that interesting? I told you this would be fun. Theology is always fun like this. 
Uh, and all this is from one Hebrew word in Genesis 1.20 about how fish have a nefesh, a soul. So what are we going to do about that? Are we going to just become universalists? No, uh, I am not a universalist. And I, I went on this strange rabbit trail. Maybe I could call it a fishing trip uh, t- to make a point, a, a theological point. And here's the point. If we go too far afield from what the text says, we soon end up with pretty strange theology. Okay, that's the point. If we go too far afield from what the text says, we end up with some pretty strange theology. Now, this is what happens when we read certain ideas in a Genesis 1 that are not there and that were never intended to be there. When we import ideas that we want Genesis 1 to say that Moses didn't intend or the original audience didn't hear. And you might sort of recognize really where I'm going with this. I've been saying in numerous of the podcast episodes up to this point that if you try to use Genesis 1 as a defense for creationism, you're going to end up with some pretty strange ideas. And I've tried to bring some of those out in previous podcast episodes. You have to engage in some, some, some crazy hermeneutical gymnastics and exegetical contortions to get Genesis 1 to make any sense. And now, if you're a creationist and you're upset about what I, I just said, l- let me state it the opposite way about evolution. In fact, I've recently received some emails and comments on the blog and so on from some people who are upset about me uh, because it seems, according to them, that I'm using Genesis 1 to teach or to prove evolution. So so let me clear things up. Hear me clearly on this. Uh, That is not what I'm trying to do. I do not believe Genesis 1 can be made to fit the theory of evolution. I don't believe that. I don't believe Genesis 1 teaches creationism, and I definitely, absolutely do not believe Genesis 1 teaches evolution. So so if you're concerned that I'm using Genesis 1 to teach evolution, or that I've gone liberal and become an evolutionist or something like that, no, it's not true. I am a creationist, okay? My, my primary point in all of these podcasts, and even in today, is that Genesis 1 was not written to teach or defend either creationism or evolutionism. And just like with the fish and the souls and all that, if you try to import creationism or evolutionism into Genesis 1, an idea that is not there in any way, shape, or form, you're going to end up with some really strange ideas about how the universe is ordered. Uh, Don't import outside ideas into the text. Read what is there, uh, what Moses intended to say to the original audience at that time, and uh, in that way you'll be able to understand the text better. So, with that in mind, let's get back to the text. How are we to understand this word nefesh, this word soul? Well, you do a word study on this. Again, you can use Logos Bible software for this. Uh, I'm going to include some articles, some links to articles in the show notes, where you can uh, read some studies that other people have done on this word nefesh. When you do a word study on this term nefesh, you discover that it does not refer to the eternal or the godly aspect of mankind. What you'll discover instead is that nefesh simply means life. The nefesh is the life-giving principle in one of God's created beings. It's the life-giving principle in humans. It is also the life-giving principle in sea creatures like fish and land animals, like cattle and cows and horses. Okay, so, uh, when you understand nefesh this way, simply as life, or you could maybe even translate it as breath even, um, it, it helps avoid a lot of confusion in the Bible about mankind and animals, but it also helps you understand what the Bible is talking about when it says, when it talks about saving a soul. 
there's numerous passages. Some of the famous ones are in James one twenty one and James five nineteen to twenty about saving a soul from death. And a lot of times we read that and we get confused because if we think saving a soul from death means helping a person go to heaven when they die, well, in the passage, it's all about good works. And we think, oh man, this person is going to have to change their life. They're going to have to stop disobeying God and become better people so that they can go to heaven when they die. But but saving a soul from death doesn't mean that at all. It simply means saving the person's life from premature death, from dying too soon, from dying you know, before their time, in a sense. Save a soul from death doesn't mean rescuing a person from hell so they can go to heaven when they die. No, it means to deliver a person from an early death, to, to rescue a person from physically dying. Now, it's a big topic. Again, there's links in the show notes, several articles which show this in more detail. You can study the topic on your own. And then this sort of understanding, though, really helps us understand what Moses is talking about here in Genesis 1 as well. Animals, like fish, they have souls. They have a nefesh. And that doesn't mean they have eternal, they're eternal beings, nothing like that. It simply means they have breath in them. They have a life-giving principle. Uh, Bruce Waltke, he says that, according to his study, the term uh, also includes ideas of the passionate appetites and desires Uh, like the desire for food and the desire for sex and things like that, the things that make us alive. So uh, nefesh is the the physical and temporal life of a living being. It's it's not anything related to a person's eternal state or eternal element, nothing like that. Uh, And it's the same for humans as, as it is for animals. So when an animal dies, they lose their nefesh, their life giving principle, their breath. That's it. Uh, Nothing is stated or implied one way or another about the eternal destiny of animals, simply because they have a soul, nefesh. And and that is all we can say about the nefesh of the fish. Nothing further can be said. We don't know for sure if God is going to bring your goldfish to heaven to be with you or not. Okay. Now, again, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Now, I, I tend to think there will be animals in the eternal state. But again, let's not get into that because that is not the point of this text. Uh, let's just move on. At the end of Genesis 1.20, we read about how the, the birds of the air are to fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. Now, if you remember, uh, in the podcast episode when we looked at day two, God separated the waters above from the waters below by placing a firmament in the midst of the waters. You may recall that when we looked at that verse, we learned that the word firmament refers to a dome or a hard shell. Uh, It holds, the idea was that it holds back the waters above. The, uh, The ancient people believed there was this big, vast ocean up there. And uh, there was this hard shell dome to hold it back. And when God wanted it to rain, he opened the windows of the heavens, the windows in this firmament, so that water could pour through. Uh, I think we've said also in previous shows, previous episodes, that the ancient people believed that the sun and the moon were inside this firmament. And uh, the, the, the firmament sort of rotated around the earth, and that caused the sun and the moon to look like they were moving across the sky or to move across the sky, and they believed the stars were engraved on the surface of this hard shell. Uh, and all of this, though, uh, none, none of it's scientifically accurate. This is not the way it is or the way it was. It's what they believed. But, but um, that's why it's so important to understand Genesis 1, not as science, but as theology, uh, especially against the beliefs and practices of Canaan 
Egypt and Babylon. Anyway, here in 120, we see that we, these, we have these birds flying around. And I recently read a commentary on Genesis where the author uh, looked at 120 as evidence that the firmament could not be a hard shell. Uh, he wanted to argue against this idea because obviously we know that, that there's no hard shell up there. So he wanted to uh, make the Bible fit with science. And so he used 120 as evidence that the the firmament is not a hard shell. And what he said is, see, the birds fly around in the firmament. Therefore, it cannot be hard. It's not an exact quote, but that's what he was arguing. Uh, he went on to say that it is better to understand the word firmament as expanse. Or as a reference to the heavens, uh, which would include not just the sky, but uh, outer space and, and basically everything above above the dirt. Uh, you know, the, from the surface of the dirt up is the heavens, the skies, and so on like that. So that's what he argued. Now, uh, look, in, in reference to heavens, he, he, oh, he pointed to some passages about the heavens being multi-layered. Uh, you know, even in, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul writes about the third heaven, how, how he knows a man caught up into the third heaven, and many people think that was him after he was stoned, uh, and so on. And look, I, look, Moses isn't writing about any of that either. And, and even, that's the, even that is not scientifically or theologically accurate. There aren't three heavens. Uh, nobody believes that. It's no, no, no scientist or even theologian actually believes there's third heavens and that there's a third one somewhere up there in which God dwells. You know, science doesn't believe that if you go far enough that you're going to enter into this third heaven. And, and theology doesn't believe that either. We don't believe that if you were to just go far enough, you'd finally arrive at the third heaven where God is. No, we believe God is here. He's with us. He's among us. Um, so this third heaven sort of talk is, it, it's not, it, again, that's a theological way of describing something as well. It's not scientifically true. Anyway, um, Again, none of this helps us understand Genesis 120. The issue here is the word firmament. And the scholar that I referred to, he he used Genesis 120 to say, see, see, firmament isn't a hard shell because the birds fly around in it. But look closely at what Genesis 120 says. It doesn't say that the birds fly around in the firmament. No, it says that they fly across the face of the firmament. In other words, the birds are not flying in it. They're flying in front of it. So, uh, and according to the, you know, the pre-scientific worldview that Moses and his audience had, uh, that made perfect sense. The birds fly above the earth, they're flying in the air, which is in front of or on the face of the firmament. So, uh, basically, even in Genesis 1.20, the firmament is still viewed as this hard shell. It has a face, a front, it has a surface, and the birds fly in front of it. So again, uh, look, if you try to read Genesis 1 as science, you're going to have problems, even here in 120. Moses is writing a theological polemic against the religious beliefs of his day. In fact, uh, the next verse, Genesis 1.21, it's filled with uh, amazing polemical imagery and ideas. And there's so much there, as I said before. I'm just going to skip it. We're going to have to point, uh, we're going to have to cover that next week. Uh, the only thing I want to do, I want to say today about Genesis 121 is that uh, phrase about the fish and the birds reproducing according to their kind. Uh, it's the same phrase that was used in Genesis 1, 11 and 12 about the reproduction of the plants. We talked about that. Again, go back and listen to that episode if you missed it. I talk about the phrase according to their kind. Uh, we'll see that again in verses 24 and 25. And um, it basically means that um, 
that God gave plants and gave fish and gave animals the ability to reproduce themselves. There's not this, there's not a never-ending cycle of violence between the gods. Again, you remember that, the Baal cycle from the plants and what the Canaanites believed about, about the Baal cycle. Go listen to that podcast on uh, Genesis 1, 11, and 12 to see what I mean, though. So uh, in Genesis 1.22, then, we read that after God made the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, God blessed them. And, and this is the first blessing in the Bible. And notice uh, it's, it's followed by a command, or even it includes a command. Um, the command is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So uh, a similar instruction is going to be made to the humans on day six. But it's important to note here that God's blessing is stated as an instruction to obey. And look, if you're like me, you want God to bless you. Lord, bless me in, in this, this uh, job. Bless me in my marriage. Bless this day. Bless, you know, we, we pray for God's blessing. But what we often do not realize is that God's blessings come in tandem with obedience. You, you really cannot have one without the other. Oftentimes we want God to bless us, but we're not so sure we want to obey him. Uh, but if God blesses you, then it comes sort of with an instruction uh, to obey him. And in fact, often the blessing that God provides is so that you can use it to obey him. Uh, and if you obey him, it often even results in blessings. So they work together. And that's the way it is with blessings and obedience. Blessings always proceed or precede, I should say, calls to obedience, and uh, God never is going to call someone to do something, to obey him in some way, that he hasn't already blessed them with the means to obey. And then, of course, once we obey, that results in greater blessings. So it's just sort of this spiral. God wants you to do something, so he first blesses you. And then if you use his blessing to obey him, that leads to greater blessing, and then so on. That's, that's, the, way, that's the way it works in God's kingdom. Uh, the description of day five then ends with an, uh, this normal formula. So the evening and morning were the fifth day. We, we've talked a lot about this. I'm not going to say anything more about it uh, here um, in, in Genesis. Well, I'll say more about it actually when we get to Genesis chapter two, but uh, I don't need to say anything more about it here. Anyway, that's the end of day five. Uh, yeah, we're still going to look at Genesis 121. Uh, we'll do that in the next episode. Listen, as we close out today's episode, uh, I just want to reiterate that I am a creationist. I do believe that everything that exists, exists because God made it. Uh, but I am also a student of Scripture, and, and when I study Scripture, my primary goal is to learn, to the best of my ability, I'm not infallible, but to the best of my ability, what the original author meant, when the text was written, and how the original audience understood the text to be saying when they heard it. So if we try to get Genesis 1 to teach either creationism or evolutionism, we're going to be like those people who are trying to use Genesis 1.20 to prove that since fish have nefesh, have souls, that's evidence that their dog or cat's going to go to heaven when they die. It can be argued, I suppose, but only by doing great damage to the text and at, at great risk to some other important biblical doctrines, like, you know, you end up believing in universalism or something. So look, do you want to believe in creationism? Do you believe in creationism? Fine. Wonderful. Do you believe in evolution? Fine. Wonderful. Either way, either way, leave Genesis 1 out of it. 
creation versus evolution was not anywhere in the worldview of Moses or the original audience. And so if we import either idea into Genesis 1, we're going to end up with bad theology and bad science. So what'd you think? Was that fun? It's crazy sometimes how theology conversations can lead to some crazy results. Talking about souls and fish and leading to universalism and dogs going to heaven, all those sorts of things. But, you know, look, uh, in my view, theology is a form of entertainment. Sometimes we Christians take ourselves way too seriously in what we believe. Let's have a little fun. Let's laugh a little bit more. Take ourselves a little less seriously. That's what God intended. I'm convinced of it. So I hope you had fun in today's show, today's episode as we studied Genesis 1, 20-23. I'd appreciate your comments, your feedback. You can do that on Facebook. You can leave a comment on the show notes, uh, which are found at, let me find the link here, redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 1, 20-23. You can leave a comment there. You can always, of course, leave a rating and review at iTunes, which I would really appreciate. Most of all, though, I appreciate you listening, sharing these uh, podcasts with your friends and family, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever social networks you might be on. Hey, thank you for listening once again. Next week, we're going to look at uh, verse 21, Genesis 1:21, and there's some amazing insights there that Moses wants to share with you and me. See you then.